0: Welcome back. I hope awareness is with you. Now you're gonna kinda wanna be aware of other people and you're gonna be thinking about people you know, your boss, perhaps your mother-in-law, perhaps uh, your sister or your mom or dad or friend. Try to refocus all that back on being aware of you. There's plenty of time for being aware of everybody else. So try to get back to self-awareness. I think you'll start thinking things like, wonder why I do that? Don't answer it right now because I want you to hear the next thing I'm gonna say. But just remember, you're aware that you do things in a new way today. You're not doing things new, you're aware in a new way of the things you do. So pay attention to that. And I hope you're gonna continue this practice of observation throughout this whole study. I'm wondering about some patterns of behavior that I notice in other people that you may have noticed in yourself. So let's talk about some of those. And I'm going to give it to you in question form. And just think about it for a second. And probably somebody will come to mind. And then just let it go so you can think about the next thing and the next thing. The first is, have you observed yourself worrying about what other people think about you? If you are a person who has noticed that, you need to know that there are people on the Enneagram who are not worried about what other people think of them. Second, perhaps you've been wishing at times that other people would try as hard as you do because you always come prepared and you work so hard and you try to get everything right and I bet you've had the thought, I wonder why he doesn't do his work beforehand. I wonder why they're not as prepared as I am. I guess this doesn't matter as much to them as it does to me. Or maybe you're aware that you're tired of following behind other people and having to redo what they didn't do right. And then do you sometimes think other people are all worked up over things that don't matter? It's like that's such a waste of energy. Why do people get all whipped up about that? Or there's a chance that you had a lot you had to get done one day this week, and you worked all day, and you didn't get any of that done. And do you wonder where the day went and why you didn't get it done and what happened to you? As you learn to observe yourself in those kinds of ways on this journey, then you're going to learn more and more and more about what you've been doing all your life habitually that you just weren't aware of. And what I want you to know is when you do what you've done all your life habitually, you give other people a message about what they're doing or about what they're not doing or about how they do or don't do things. I have one goal for you in this session, just one, and that is I want you to have a hypothesis by the time we finish about what stance you're in, what Enneagram stance you're in. There are three stances, aggressive, and withdrawing, and dependent. And remember, this is a hypothesis, so it's not carved in stone. You get to change your mind later if you need to. But I want you to have a pretty strong working hypothesis. So that's why you've got to pay all of your attention to you and not to thinking about other people. So let's talk a little bit about aggressive. Um, you know, there are some people that you have talked about, and said, he's just very aggressive. Or there are people who talk about you and say, she's extremely aggressive for a woman, don't you think? And then there are withdrawing people, and we don't usually use the language withdrawing. We don't say, you know, I found Fred to be kind of withdrawn, or "I, I really thought that Helen was kind of pulling back. We don't use that language, unfortunately, because We don't know the withdrawing stance. And so what we say is, I don't think they like me. I don't think they were very engaging. I don't think they were very engaged. I'm not sure they were paying attention. I don't think he had a good time. All of those are things we say about people who are in the withdrawing stance. And then there's the dependent stance. And essentially what that means is that you're dependent on other people for feedback, not to take care of you but you figure out who you are and your way in the world by how they react to you, by what they want from you, by whether or not you can meet those needs. So we're going to talk about aggressive and withdrawing and dependent. I'm going to give you a lot of more information about that. Now we all have automatic habitual ways of reacting to life and our days are full of joy and anxiety and care and pain and worry and stress. And your Enneagram personality type is about all of the default responses to the realities of life. So here's the story about your Enneagram number. It has a whole bunch of default settings. And when you're not paying attention, you're gonna do things you don't wanna do. Your default personality settings are gonna use your body and your being to do things that you don't wanna do because it's habitual patterned default mode. So we're going to talk a little bit about how frequently that occurs. Your Enneagram personality then is uh, going to require that you be aware and intentional and we're likely going to end up moving in life from one episode to another and you respond to those in the same ways and we've got to be really careful about that. What I want for my life and for you is less episodic meaning and more intentionality. And in order to do that, you have to be aware of how you operate. Let's get to a place where we understand that we got to outgrow some of our stuff, not solve it. And I think you can outgrow everything faster with the Enneagram. This really wonderful tool also highlights, don't forget, the best part of you. And as you get really kind of sucked into that, then you're reminded that it's the worst part of you. So let me give you an example. The best part of me is I'm a giver. And quite frankly, I can be the best giver you've ever known. I can give you things you don't even know you want yet. (laughs) I'm I'm really good. And you know, sometimes as a giver, because that's the best part of me, it's just altruistic giving because I love you and I feel like it's mine to do. Sometimes though, I use that exact same energy to give manipulatively to get you to want me or to get you to give back to me or to get you to do what I want to do. Well, I can't just stop giving, you see that, because that would be stopping the best part of me. But if I don't learn how to give appropriately, then I'm going to ultimately kind of be drawn more and more and more into the worst part of the best part of me. Human beings have three central intelligences. Um, Much of our work right now is going to center around those three, and they are thinking, and feeling and doing. And so what that means is when you're out in the world and something happens, then you respond in one of three ways. What do I think? What do I feel? What am I gonna do? I realize that that's not just a great aha moment for you. It's not like you're writing it down and thinking that's the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. And I understand that, but what I don't think we all fully take in is that's also habitual behavior. And some of us use just one of those for taking in information. Some of us use just two, and none of us use all three. And so we're living all of our lives out of balance in terms of thinking, feeling, and doing. So I think it needs to be an aha moment that everything that happens, you respond with, what do I think, what do I feel, or what am I going to do? Every day, we use those to make our way in the world, and we've given a name to that, and the name to that is that it's the qualities of our personality. So we have three ways of taking in information, right? Thinking, feeling, and doing. And then we have three ways of processing information, thinking, feeling, and doing. And so from the perspective of the centers of the intelligence, there are nine ways that make up nine numbers of being in the world. Let's begin with the aggressive stance, because they're the aggressive stance, they would want me to begin with their stance. So I want you to remember now you're going to declare a tentative assumption about what stance you're in at the end of this session. Don't be thrown by the words aggressive, independent, and withdrawing. Don't make any decisions based on those three words, they're just words. Instead, listen really carefully to what I tell you about the stances, and just figure out which one most clearly describes you. Everything I say won't fit you. Don't expect that. Most things I say will fit you, and some of the things I say will make you uncomfortable. They will fit you so well. So, aggressive stance folks are people who get your attention, and they get your attention kind of when they walk in the room. Hurley and Donson once said their unconscious desire is to reshape people and situations the way they want them to be. They have a lot of energy. They are people who are determined and they're focused on action and vitality and seeing and being seen. And they're oriented in the world to their own ideas and to their own way of doing things. And some people think they're a little pushy. Sometimes when they're focused on a project, they're unaware of other people's feelings. So they don't take into account that they may be pushing you too hard or overlooking you or not recognizing you for your part because they're focused on a goal. Now if all that's sounding like you, okay, but remember to add in when you were 20. Think about when you were 20. These are people who artfully dodge questions that are personal. They have a a a magical way of kind of getting around that. These people are big picture thinkers and they usually have a full schedule of a lot of things that need to get done. For the most part they would prefer to say too little rather than too much. So now I want you to take that in because that's a subtle thing that you would not think about aggressive numbers. When you're just learning the Enneagram, you would think aggressive numbers of people who talk and have a lot to say. No, no, they would prefer to say too little rather than too much. They protect themselves with humor. So when you start to get too close, they usually have a pretty good sense of humor, and they use that to kind of wall themselves off. They do not respond well to outside expectations. And they think a lot about the future. That's kind of where their focus is. Now, people in the aggressive stance are upbeat and they're optimistic, and they they have a way of making the rest of us feel kind of safe because they're upbeat and optimistic. And I would say that the aggression that they have could be described as... um, their own way of seeing and feeling and thinking and being, and they really don't naturally or intuitively connect with the feelings of other people. Now I'd like to have a little of that because I connect with the feelings of everybody. And it's not that great really to try to have my feelings and all of your feelings too. They have a lot of ideas about how the world should be. And then they try to turn all those ideas into reality. And life for them is all about control. Now, life for all of us is all about control. But you know, don't you, that control is an illusion. It's my favorite illusion, but it's still an illusion and we have to deal with that. And so I want you to connect right now with the fact that this desire of aggressive numbers to be in control started when they were little bitty. You didn't just come to this. You've been in this aggressive, withdrawing, dependent stance your whole life. And so as you look back, you're going to see it there and there and there and all the places where you've been. People in the aggressive stance tell me that they're often the ones who provide the energy for the many groups that they're a part of. And they add that sometimes that feels like a burden. Sometimes they even use the language, I have to bring the energy for everything. I'm kind of tired. These are people who think other people move too slow. There's some impatience with this. They're kind of trying to speed us up. But they don't address it directly. They just move faster than we can keep up with. So if you're in this stance, you probably dismiss personal offenses. And you do that more easily than other people around you. You don't think it's about you. You generally think it's about the other person. These people are good at one or all of these three things, planning a project. They're very good at that planning and executing a project some of them are really good at that planning executing and completing a project and some of them are good at that people in the aggressive stance are very optimistic so they take on the day's challenges by waking up in the morning and thinking I have all these things to do today and I'll get them all done now if you're not in this stance you wake up in the morning and think I have all these things to do today and I'm never gonna finish you see that difference that's how I want you to start thinking They respond to stress by building on their own strengths and problem solving as opposed to relying on somebody else for advice or for help. Now, if all of that sounds like you, or if most of that sounds like you, then you will probably continue on with the hypothesis that you're in the aggressive stance. Remember, everything I said won't describe you, but you'll have a a feel for that kind of energy that will or won't. The dependent stance is next. For people in the dependent stance, their consistent, unconscious way is to look at a situation and see what should be done next. This is happening. What should be done next? And so that means that they place their reference point outside of themselves instead of inside. They're focused outside. These are people who believe that they must do well whatever the people around them expect or want. So it's not enough to do it. You have to do it well. And the personalities of these people are characterized by relationships and interconnection and sharing and giving. They're all about people. And their attention is usually focused on feelings and on interpersonal dynamics. And they are about responding. That's such a big word. For this group of people. They're about responding to other people, to situations. They want to um, react in a way that's good for everybody. There are also people though who connect everything to everything. But what happens to people in the dependent stance is they chain things together. So some people in this stance think if part of the relationship's bad, the whole relationship is bad. Some of the people in this stance think Uh, If this person is mad at me today, then they were mad at me when that happened, and when that happened, and when that happened. So, chaining is is not good, number one. We've got to work on that, but it is a big characteristic of people who are in the dependent stance. It's very difficult for these people to make a plan and stick with it, because everything depends on what the other people in their lives are going to ask from them that day. Interesting when you have your day planned from 9 to 5. And one person can take over at 10, and then the whole rest of your day is dedicated to what they want or expect from you instead of what you had planned. So obviously we're talking about people who have trouble with boundaries. People who don't have good boundaries are not comfortable with the boundaries that other people have. It feels like um, they don't want you. It feels like they're locking you out. It feels like they don't care about you. And these people in this stance don't have good boundaries. They're not good then at respecting and understanding the boundaries of other people and well boundaried people often unknowingly hurt your feelings if you're in this stance. People in this stance are opinionated. My definition of opinions is underdeveloped thinking. So they got a lot of opinions about things that they haven't thought through and they're people who hold on to inherited ideas. So it's hard for them to let go of what they thought 20 years ago or 30 years ago are are the traditions of their families. They sometimes ask questions that they already know the answer to but they don't stop and think. And they are people who have a lot of anxiety and they cover it up with graciousness and with activity. And because of poor boundaries of course it's really hard for them to say no. People in this stance have a hard time evaluating themselves honestly, so they're usually down on themselves. They see themselves as limited or lacking, and they set very high standards, and then they try to meet them, and they're harsh on themselves when they don't. They're usually well aware of the expectations of the people around them or the perceived expectations, and then they work very hard to try to meet them. People in a dependent stance are plagued with three questions. Here they are. What needs to be done right now? How can I help whoever I'm with? The lady in the grocery store who can't reach the soup. What am I responsible for? Those are big questions. And these are people who are usually thinking relationally. So sometimes they have to have information repeated because while you're talking to them, they're thinking about their relationship with you and they're thinking about how what you're telling them is going to affect their relationship with you. They interrupt, especially the extroverts, and they even interrupt themselves sometimes. You can watch them talking and they'll be talking about something and they'll just decide they'd rather talk about something else. So they interrupt themselves and take it a completely different way. And they're people who get energy by being with other people. So it's very good for them to be with folks and meeting people's needs and figuring out what they're responsible for. It's all their comfort zone. These are people who are okay with being second. They don't need to be first. They don't like to be in charge, really. They like to be second in command. If you're in this stance, then there are other questions that you probably frequently ask, and one is, how am I going to live up to what other people expect of me? I kind of know what everybody wants. How am I going to live up to that? And another is, How will I know when I've been responsible enough? I know I'm responsible, but am I responsible enough? And how will I know when I have been? They're gracious and they're charming. And it's very uncomfortable for them to be around other people who aren't getting along. And other people seem to feel comfortable not getting along in front of them. It's kind of like an interesting mix. (laughs) They work hard and they have to learn to enjoy being alone. They need to learn that, but they have to learn it. They don't just enjoy being alone. Now, if that sounds like you, then you're gonna continue from here with a working hypothesis that's tentative, but I want you to be pretty serious about it, that you're in the dependent stance, the withdrawing stance. These are people who have, now listen to these words carefully. These are people who have an independent, but non-aggressive point of view. For us culturally, generally when people have an independent point of view, they're aggressive. People in the withdrawing stance have that independent point of view, but they're not aggressive about it. They count on their own strength to get them through. They easily change their focus from one thing to another, depending on what's grabbing their attention at the time. And withdrawing means just this. Don't make it mean more than this. Withdrawing means they look inside themselves for what they need. Now, if you're not in this stance, when you look inside yourself for what you need, you don't find it there. And these people do. They don't find what they need from us. The people in this stance tell me that other people are kind of pushing them. They're often pushing them to get involved in things. Pushing them to get involved in things that don't seem to be their business. Pushing them to get involved in things that they don't think are theirs to do. So people in the withdrawing stance are aware that there's a lot to do in the world, but they don't see themselves making a difference by doing any of it. Because you see, people in the withdrawing stance don't think their actions are gonna make any difference. So it doesn't occur to them then to do that. All right, there are folks in the world Uh, who just don't feel like they connect easily. So for them, their inner world is the real world. Now, did you get that? Let's look at that again. There are folks in the world who don't feel like they connect to other people easily. And so for them, their inner world is the real world. And all this that's going on is not the real world for them. If you're in this group, you sometimes feel sort of isolated. But it doesn't really bother you much. When I feel isolated, I'm miserable because I'm not in this group. I feel unwanted and unloved. It's really exhausting. These people don't feel any of that. They feel isolated, but they don't have any of that that goes with it. So there are a lot of people in this stance who tell me, That there are things that they would really like to change about their lives, but they don't know how to act on their own behalf. That's so important to take that in. There are things I'd really like to change, they say to me, but I don't know how to act on my own behalf. Men and women in the withdrawing stance are connected to the past. They think about people and conversations and what they've learned and how it fits with what they know. There are people who ponder That's a word we don't hear very much anymore, isn't it? These are people who ponder. They think things over for a long time. Their way of handling difficult situations is by accommodating, but they often resent it. They accommodate you, but they resent accommodating you. And they don't talk about that. It's just all going on inside of them. And they're not practiced at standing up for themselves. So when they decide to speak up and when they decide to take care of themselves, it's kind of awkward at first or it comes on way too strong because they're not good at that. They haven't ever practiced it. They have ideas and feelings and things that they would like to do that they don't ever follow through with. And the reason they don't follow through is because they don't really think they can affect the world and they don't know how to act on their own behalf. Many of the people who are in the withdrawing stance are daydreamers. They daydream sometimes. And they have private thoughts. And I wouldn't call them secrets because it's not like they're keeping a secret from you. They just have a lot of private thoughts that they don't share. And it's nothing bad, really. It's just things that they don't share. Now we all have different ways of dealing with stress and these folks deal with it by pulling back, by withdrawing, by not confronting it, and frequently by not addressing it. And when they enter a room, they're usually very self-aware because they kind of feel like they don't belong. So they don't, they don't know what their rightful place is. They don't know where they're supposed to sit or who they're supposed to be next to. Now, if all of those things sound like you, then you're going to continue on from here with the hypothesis that you belong in the withdrawing stance. Now I want to remind you not to attach too much to the words aggressive, independent, and withdrawing. And I want you to be aware that you could be in any of those stances and at other times feel like you are somewhat aggressive if you're in the withdrawing stance or somewhat dependent if you're in the withdrawing stance. That's okay. After you get this work all on board, then Uh, You can be at an Enneagram workshop or in your community with somebody else who has Enneagram wisdom and you can say what number are you and they'll tell you and you can tell them your number and what happens in that moment is you skip the next 50 questions because you will know so much by that one exchange of information that you can go right to a much deeper, much more meaningful conversation. And those deeper, more meaningful conversations are the things that keep us from being trapped in episodic meaning. They're the things that show us where and how and to whom we belong. And those are the things that give meaning to our lives. Thank you.